Hey, Carol, this morning I texted you and asked if we could embed the podcast in our garden blog posts. Yes, instead of just a straight link. And I went and figured it out. And we can. And I put it on one of my blog posts. You're so smart. Not always. But this time, it just took me two tries to get it the way I wanted it. So we'll be doing that on all of our blog posts, I imagine. So that way, people can just listen to us directly from our blogs, which is a great idea. It is a great idea. And with that, welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I garden on a suburban lot that's measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. We call ourselves Garden Angelists because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Dee. How does your garden grow? Well, I'm pretty sure we're frost-free, so I'm pretty happy about that. I, so right now, I mean, it's still a little chilly in the morning, so you have to be a little bit careful. The really, really stuff that like the tropicals that love it, hot, hot, hot. You got to wait on those a little bit. But there are two new traditions at the greenhouse, apparently. What are those? So back in the day when I worked, I used to take off a week or two in May to garden. And it always seemed like the week I took off, it would rain. And so the greenhouse would blame me for the rain. (laughs) So now they can't blame me for the rain. But my sister took off Thursday and Friday to garden and it rained. So apparently she's now responsible for that. That works for me. And then (laughs) this other tradition, this is even better. What's that? So last fall... I went to the greenhouse and they had just like a flat and a half of pansies. And she says, Carol, just take them. I'm going to put them in the dumpster. So I'm like, seriously? And she says, yeah, seriously. So I took a flat and a half and I just potted them up and they they kind of look pretty bad, but you know, they got a fighting chance. So I went over there Friday. I think it was a day's blur, but I've been there many times <laughs> and they came out and she says, we got five flats of pansies. We're getting ready to put in the dumpster. Do you want them in the back of your truck? And I'm like, sure. And they were for some reason, they were all blue. So I mm. I brought them home. And then Sunday, I bedded them out front beneath, beneath a crab apple tree. We'll see how long they last. But, you know, they'll give a couple of days of color. Oh, my gosh. I love blue pansies. I love blue pansies. And when I used to do the garden up at St. Mary's in Guthrie, uh-huh. I always put blue pansies around the statue of the Blessed Mother. Yeah. Because, you know, blue. <laughs> Well, and my intention is, as I pull the pansies and violas out of the pots, I'm just going to bed them out places and they'll either disintegrate into nothing and I'll pull them out or maybe they'll sow some seeds and I'll get some self-sowing, especially the violas. So I'm pretty excited about that. That is exciting. And it looks like from our notes that you're already eating from the garden, which is interesting because I just started eating from the garden too. And my radishes already bolted because we had two hot days. So my radishes didn't bolt, but let me put that. I have two things I need to investigate. Number one, I had some radishes that just never bulked up. I mean, French breakfast did great. Had a couple of cherry bells, a couple of Easter eggs, but so many of them, they just, they just didn't form a radish. So I, I need to see what's going on there. They just sat there. They grew, but there's when you pull them, there's nothing. 
And then my peas are sulking and I don't know why. They should be bigger than they are right now. So my peas, I did sugar in this time. And I noticed yesterday when I was out in the garden that they have potted up. Um, but the pea plants are only this tall and I'm showing a foot and a half with my hands. So I don't know what's going on. I mean, I have a feeling that maybe the fertility in that bed is too low. And so I might add some compost to it. Yeah, I need to give these a shot of something because they're literally six inches tall and they should be, in my opinion, they should be at least a foot tall. So I got to check that out. But So maybe they just need a little bit of something. As we know, peas and beans fixate nitrogen in the soil because they're legumes, but maybe they need a little more potassium or something. I don't know. I don't know either. And I, and I put in our show notes, this must be investigated. There you go. Do you want to hear about my garden? I do. Oh, you've got one more thing to say. We almost left it out. It's about where you're going to be. Well, I was down in Franklin Saturday at the Johnson County Garden Fair, picked up a few little garden tchotchkes and things, Mm -hmm. including this cute new shelf that's down here. And I put a couple little plants. You can't really see it. Oh, I see that. That is really cute. Got little wheels on it, but they don't turn or anything. Cute. But I will be back in Franklin, Indiana at the Wild Geese Bookshop on Saturday, May 21st from 1 to 2 p.m. They have a great big front porch and I'll be sitting there answering gardening questions. And if somebody would like to buy one of my books, they can do that. Isn't that nice? That is nice because you write really good books. Thank you. Now tell me about the D world of Oklahoma. Yeah, it's all D's world. Um, Okay, so it was, I spent the weekend kind of with each of my kids individually. And that was nice. And I went with Megan and Maddie to the Oklahoma City Flower and Garden Festival, which is held at the Myriad Gardens every year. It's downtown Oklahoma City. And so while I was there, I had a strong talk with myself that I was not going to buy any plants because I don't have any more room. And then, well, these plants, these plants leaped into my basket because this one farm brought Ember's Wish Salvia, which is one of my very favorite salvias, Mahogany Splendor Hibiscus, which is tropical and just grown for its dark foliage. And I also found more Greg's Mist Flower. And as you know, Greg's Mist Flower, if you want queen butterflies in your garden, you should grow Greg's Mist Flower because it has an alkaloid in the flowers that helps the male butterflies do their thing. I did not know so that. So it's also it's a palmate, yeah. It's a palmate mist flower. It's beautiful. It's a native plant, and it's also a really pretty plant, which is kind of a lime green, and it has blue flowers. It doesn't get much better than that. No, it doesn't. Right? You need to be giving me the botanical name so I can put that in our show notes. I will give you the botanical name, but I cannot pronounce it. That's fine. So I did not put it in our notes yet. All right. And part of the proceeds from all of the wish salvias, which is like wish, and wishes, all of that group, they go to a portion of the proceeds goes to Make-A-Wish Foundation in Australia, which is cool. Oh, so kids. So even right? though you had a stern talk with yourself, don't buy more salvias, you felt like it was important to get some more because, you know, it was for charity. So that's. You didn't. It was for the children. You didn't realize that when you told yourself you couldn't buy any. So totally understand. Totally understand. 
<laughs> and then also I dug out more Rudbeckia goldsturm and autumn clematis seedlings in my garden. What a nightmare those plants are. And I love my new Korean hand hoe for this because it gets right, you know, it's got that curve and it gets right under those roots and you can lift them right out. Mm. And it's awesome. Sounds mean. And then I just, who cares if you're mean to autumn clematis and Goldstone. I don't care. Um, I, unless you have a dry garden. If you have a really dry garden, you have all the goldstone you want. In my garden, it just goes nuts. So then after all of that, I enjoyed my roses and I posted a video on Instagram this morning about them. So this morning would be Monday, May the 9th. So when people listen to this podcast, they could go to your Instagram feed and circle back to Monday to see. And I watched it. It was, it was lovely. Yes, it's a short video this time because I didn't want to overwhelm people. So you have a quote. I do. While we extend our admiration to all flowers, trees, and shrubs in our possession, we shall derive large gratification and advantage knowing everything there is to be known, the nomenclature, the botanical distinctions, the culture of some particular species or family of plants. And that's by Dean Hole, and I have no idea who it was. And I'll tell you down in the rabbit hole where that quote came from. I mean, he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. Exactly. We, we do that. We become, I've never met people more obsessive than gardeners when they fall in love with a particular plant. Or a family of plants or a genus or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> But that, our flower is not uh, a particular genus that either one of us is obsessed over, but but we like this, it. We like it. And this speaks to a plant I have looked for for literally years and mm-hmm. didn't mail order it because I just, you don't get as big a plant. And that is Indian pink, which is Spigelia marylandica. And it's a native plant and it's so pretty. And I found two. One of the prettiest native plants. I found two varieties at the local greenhouse and I bought one of each. So when you say, so first we've told people it's native, but now we're telling them it's got varieties, which means cultivars or native R's. And so maybe we should explain that just a bit. What a native R is. A native R is a selected variety for particular characteristics of a native plant. And there are some people that think you've ruined the native plant for nature because it's a it's a variety. And I say, not always. It not may always. be just like, you know, we talked about Joe Pie Weed and there's Little Joe has the same kinds of flowers, but it's not that great big giant in the garden. It's a just a little right. giant. Not a big giant. Yeah, it's not, it's not a 10-foot giant. It's an 8-foot giant. Um, or you can get a smaller one. And the two that you found, I, I, before you before you tell cultivars or nativars that you found, I have both the native ones that are straight natives, and I uh-huh. also have ones that I am sure are nativars. And I know this because I talked to Steve Owens at Bustani about it, which is where I've gotten all of mine. So tell which ones you are. I don't know which ones mine are, but you found actual named varieties. I found Little Redhead, which is the most, I think the most common named variety. It's out of Walter's Gardens. Mm-hmm. And then the other one I found, I think it's fairly new and was introduced by Plants Delight Nursery, Tony 
event or advent or whatever his last name event. is mm-hmm. event and it's called rage and cajun and they're basically they they look a little bit different and one of them and i cannot remember which one i don't have the tags in front of me one of them will be maybe 20 inches and one's like at 24 inches it says so but they do tolerate light shade if that grows to 24 inches it'll be a big surprise because I'm going to guess mine, mine are pretty short. Uh, I would say they grow 18 inches maybe, but anyway, keep going. I mean, 24 is pretty big. That's, that's a pretty big plant. Um, Normally they're pretty short and they're front of the border plants. And I read a big thing on them after you were going to post about them, about how there's been more and more emphasis on this particular native and cultivating it or selecting for new varieties, partly because it's beloved by hummingbirds and hummingbirds. I mean, they go crazy for it. And the other thing is it is short and it grows in the shade and it's perennial. Yeah. Those are all really good qualities. (laughs) Mine are going to be in part shade, which I was talking to somebody who's grown them before and they said that that works well too. Also mine were blooming. I bought them two weeks ago or a week ago. I can't remember. They were blooming and she said next year, there'll be one of the last perennials to pop up out of the ground and they won't bloom until later in May. So she said, don't expect them to be blooming this early. So um, I put them with my other native type plants in my native type garden out there. So we shall see, but I'm, I was pretty excited to find it. And when I walked over, some guy said, oh, it's cardinal flower. And I'm like, no, it's Indian pink is the common. Yeah, it isn't cardinal flower and doesn't really even look like other than red other than it's red um it has a little well in fact from the usda forest service this is this is the official thing the inflorescence is a one-sided cyme of upward facing brilliant red tubular flowers that are constricted near the top of the flower where it then flares out to reveal five short tips that reveal a bright yellow interior in other words they have small red and yellow blooms yes they do (laughs) Um, so. It's a great, it's a great plant in Oklahoma. I assume it's a great plant in Indiana. Um, mine are blooming right now. They start blooming right about now. And I am told, I was told by a gardener that if I shear them right after they bloom, before they get to where they're trying to make their little, they look kind of like seed heads. I don't know if they make actual seeds. If I do that, they'll bloom again. I will try that this year and see if it works. If I think of it, honestly, I have so much to do. I can't remember what I'm doing. So Which reminds it me, all, I, I should go out and go ahead and cut the flowers off the ones I planted out last week. So they'll focus on root growth, hopefully. Right. You want root growth. Um, in my opinion, they can be a little hard to get started. I think the straight native is harder to get started than the ones that were the stronger native are that Steve now carries at Bustani. And that reminds me that I need to go free one of my clumps from the ferns growing around it because the ferns are trying to take over. And I noticed it yesterday. So I've managed to border part of my shade garden in Indian pinks and they're in shade and partial shade and they bloom just fine. Cool. That sounds nice. So we should tell people that there's another plant called Indian paintbrush. Don't confuse that with Indian pink. Mm-hmm. I, totally different I don't plant. have, uh, pardon totally different plant. And you were going to say you don't have it in your garden. I don't either. It's not something you really grow in your garden. So don't dig it up out of a meadow. 
Um, people who have meadows want it to grow in their meadows, partly because it looks cool in the spring. It blooms a little bit right after um, Texas blue bonnets, but here. But the thing is, it's a hemi hemiparasitic, which means partially parasitic plant to grasses, which is why people who have meadows want it to grow. Um, because we always have more grass than we have of anything else. And we're trying to reduce the amount of grass. So don't dig up plants in the wild. If you want to collect seeds, that's fine. But even better, I would just get seeds from a good source. But you aren't going to grow Indian paintbrush in your garden. No, you're maybe not. In a re, maybe in a rewilded area. Rewild. Maybe that. We're going to talk about rewilding in a little bit. Yeah. But you might want to grow Spigelia marylandica Indian pink. And look for Little Redhead or Raging Cajun at your local garden center. Yes, or you can order them online. Ready for the next quote? I surely am. This is what I enjoy. To wear old clothes every day, grub in the ground, dig dandelions and eat them too, plant my seeds and watch them. From the letters of Celia Thaxter, who lived on Appledore Island. I like to dig dandelions. I don't necessarily eat them. I like to plant seeds. I don't mind getting dirty. That's like rule number one for gardeners. If you really don't like getting dirty, you probably need to pick another hobby. Like, as I've said, stamp collecting. I think you just need to learn to like getting dirty. That's what I think. But there you go. That's true. So if you want to get out into nature, we're coming up on the time when blackberries, right now they are flowering in my garden um, in Oklahoma, which means at the end of June, we will have berries mid June to end of June. When will you get berries? I think that we would have blackberries later in July. I think that there's, I don't think they're blooming yet, but I, I don't have any blackberries to see. I have grown blackberries and I will tell you, if you go picking blackberries, especially in the wild, plan to get chiggers. <laughs> you will get chiggers. And watch for snakes and all the things. But I have wild blackberries all over my property in various spots and love them. In fact, there's one at my barn. There's a new bush up by my barn, which made me kind of happy. Um, I have also grown them and they are not hard to grow. In fact, I told a client last week that she was trying to grow blueberries in the ground. And I was like, okay, you got to get some sulfur on those stat and hopefully they'll work because we do not have acidic soil in Oklahoma, but guess what you can grow easily? Blackberries. Yes. And blackberries will, they're, they're not for the tiny garden. They will spread quite a bit. They sucker and they just keep kind of pushing out and pushing out. In fact, if you want to share your blackberries with somebody, the, the bush, you can dig out the suckers, pot them up and then give them away. And, when I was at that little garden fair, I noticed somebody had blackberry, thornless blackberry suckers, seven bucks a piece. Well, if I grew blackberries again, I would definitely grow the thornless varieties. And I grow one of the varieties that makes the great big berries, which is part of the point yes. of growing blackberries. And then yeah. um, there are several you pick them farms in this area, too, that you can just go pick them. But there, but it's hard to get like when it's height of blackberry season, people pick them so fast they have to close for a couple of days. So yep. thornless varieties, I there's a whole bunch of information. We found some information that's really good from Oregon State University. Do you want to talk about their unique growth habit? Well, sure. They 
the way this works, and it's kind of the same for raspberries is the first year, the cane does not fruit. The second year, that cane is biennial. It will fruit, and then you should cut it off. And so that confuses people. You kind of look for the canes that have the remnants of flowers and stems from the blackberries where you pulled them. And those are the ones you'd cut. And it gets kind of, um, they like to throw out a lot of fancy words like primo cane. And so we'll just link to that website (laughs) and people can sort it out if you want to grow blackberries. Now, you know, it's brambles in some sense, if you know what brambles are, and you know, like you got it grown in a wild spot by your barn. This is not a growth, you know, neat and tidy. If you like neat and tidy plants, don't plant blackberries. You're that's not going to be neat and tidy. It's never going to be neat and tidy. No, it's not supposed to be neat and tidy. It's supposed to be a, a thicket that birds can nest in, yeah. which is another good use for blackberries. I mean, they're a great nesting plant for birds. For one thing, birds will eat the berries. And also they will nest in the space and they will keep down the insects, which, you know, there are some insects that like blackberries. So easy to grow, very easy to grow, kind of messy. So give them room with sun and well-drained soil. We suggest you buy a thornless variety. I would suggest if you live in our state that you buy one of the varieties that is named after um, an American Indian tribe, because a lot of those were created between Arkansas State University and Oklahoma State University, um, they worked on them really hard and there are a whole bunch of varieties out there. Or you can buy one of the ones that go, they have some new ones that are smaller, which are, um, is it Brambleberry? Is that Bramble and Berry? Is that the company? I can't think of their name right now. I could look it up. That sounds, that sounds, we'll we'll put a link out there, but that sounds sort of right. About right, sort of right. Um, And then Carol has in here, read carefully the info about pruning. Yeah. Uh, On the pruning, you know, there's just some dead canes. I would take them out. That's all. (laughs) And then there's really good information that we're going to link to at Oregon State and Oklahoma State that apply to almost everywhere. And then when we started researching this, I said, hey, we could just do berries all summer long. We could and we might. So listeners, if you have a particular berry you want us to talk about, let us know. I'm not growing. I have tried. I have grown blackberries and I will confess there's a spot in my back garden where I thought, oh, this is a great place for blackberries. And then it's just like, no, this is not a great place. And I still Mm -hmm. probably four or five years later, six years later, there's still like a couple of roots out there and it'll try to push up a little stem. And then I'm like, no, I said, no. And out it goes. <laughs> it's it's like my old asparagus plot. There's always a few ferns back there. And I go, that's okay, because they're not as much of a problem as blackberries can become. So we may talk about a different berry next week, because I grow a couple of these other ones that we thought yes. about. Do you want to do the next I do. quote? I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Emma Thompson, the actress. Okay, that's one of my favorite quotes we've done recently. Really? That one's Better sweet. than the quote I wrote about how it's okay to obsess about a single genus of plants? Well, that's a good one, too. Okay, so on the bookshelf, we have Grow Now by Emily Murphy. And Emily, Mur- this is Emily Murphy's, I think, second book. And, oh, I- I'm sorry, I didn't do the rest of the title. It's Grow Now, Go Beyond Organic, Rewild Your Land, Sequester Carbon, 
support biodiversity. So they got all of those keywords in yeah. there from Timber yeah. Press. Um, Emily, Emily is an, a garden activist. I think she would agree. And um, I love to follow her on Instagram. I've known her for a long time. I'm trying to remember if Emily and I've ever met in person or if we've just followed each other's blogs and then later on Instagram, I don't know. It all becomes a blur. But anyway, she's very friendly, very sweet. I enjoy I enjoy her page very much. And so I thought I would enjoy this book and I was right. Yeah, you, you have a note here that uh, you have to look at the property, like she said, from a chickadee's point of view and they need lots of cat caterpillars and other insects and seeds. And so that's okay to have that out there. If you want chickadees, you got to have chickadee food. Yeah. She says that if you look at it from the chickadees point of view, that you're, that you're going to have a lot of different creatures in your garden. Once you see and once you don't see, and she's very concerned about climate change. And, um, but Instead of all doom and gloom, like it is on the news every stinking day, her attitude is let's heal the land and people by growing more. So in other words, all of our gardens can knit together across, starting with the United States, starting with where you live, and then we can just all knit each other together. And that is very much like what Doug Tellamy says, which is that suburban yards are nature's best hope. And he actually, you you told me he actually has a quote on the back of this book. Um, I love that. Yes, a nice blurb supporting this. But you directed me to page 38 where there's a quiz where you can measure your nature quotient. Yes. Uh, like like IQ, but it's nature Q. Yeah. So let's take the quiz together. <laughs> okay. How much time on average do you spend outside each week? Two plus hours, one hour, less than one hour. Well, I think everybody knows. We stand two plus, two, right? Two plus, yeah. You do the next one. What are your touch points with nature? House plants, nearby park or open space, plants and trees in your yard, garden. I think it's- All of the uh, above. Life. Yeah, all of the above. <laughs> Which of the following have you done recently? Take a nature walk. Yep. Stop when you hear the sound of a bird. Yep. Notice a change in wind direction. Yep. Look to the sun to figure out the time of day. Yep. Notice a shift in seasons. Yep. Pick up litter. Yep. Photograph flowers and plants. Yep. Ding, ding. Ding, (laughs) ding, ding. We got yeses on all those. How often do you feel burnt out and exhausted? Often, sometimes, never. Uh, some, I sometimes feel that way if I don't get outside enough. So then it would be never because you're getting outside enough. Oh, yeah, that's right. How comfortable are you without Wi-Fi or going without your phone for periods of time? Love it, hate it, doesn't matter, a mix of all three. <laughs> well, for me, it's a mix of all three. I love my phone, unfortunately, and I hate it yeah. too, but that's okay. We're so used to being able to connect right away to stuff. I I would say a mix of all three. Can you determine when the moon is full? Yes or no? If you live in the country, yes, because your whole sky is lit up because there is no electric light out here. So yes. Well, I can because I, it shows up on my watch face. So like right, right now it's a a waxing gibbous moon. Yes. Cause you can get that app for your Apple what do you think of bugs? Do you find them frightening or fascinating? 
Fascinating. Yeah, me too. But I have to say, when I started gardening, I was very frightened of insects, especially flying stinging ones. And now I am the, you know, the queen mother of all the flying stinging insects in my garden. Well, and I, oh, your turn. I, I grew to appreciate and become fascinated with insects when I had to take an entomology class at Purdue and you were forced to take a one class. And then as an elective, I actually took a second one. So they're, they're fascinating. They are. And if you, I mean, Gosh, they're, they're how beautiful they are, some of them. And I mean, I'm not saying the insects aren't irritating. Some of them are. What are your feelings on dirt? Love it, hate it, neutral, not sure. Love it. I love good dirt. I love, I love good soil where you just put your hands in it and it crumbles. It's, it's exciting. What do you do when you find spider webs outside? Leave them where they are? Or swipe them away? Well, I leave them where they are if they're in my garden. In fact, when it becomes what I call spider season at the end of summer, and all of the beautiful long-legged spiders are outside, and they build those great big webs, I actually leave a section of my garden alone and go the other way. Because I figure, we got to help them. We do, but I swipe them away if they get in my way. I mean, I can't. I had a big spider web that went from the front porch or the post light out front to the tree across the sidewalk. And every night that spider would spin her web and it's like, you couldn't go in or out. So I had to swipe it away. How much do you go out at night? Well, I mean, it, it would be there in the morning. It was still yeah, there. early morning. That's true. Those spiders usually take up their webs about mid morning. You're right. You're right. Until they get, until it gets warm outside, they don't. So you get to ask the last question. How do you see yourself as someone who can grow anything with a little bit of effort as someone with a black thumb and everything you try to grow withers? Uh, The first. Well, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can grow pretty much anything if we put our minds to it. So I'm going to hazard a guess. And um, this book is really targeted to people who are not big gardeners yet. Exactly. This is for your new friend who's just like, I I discovered there are plants outside that you can actually grow them yourself. That new gardener, maybe a little bit more experience than that, but somebody who's just like getting going with it. Maybe they have their first home and they've never really paid attention before they get too deep into it. This would be a lovely gift booked for them. And that's grow now. I would say before they before they get too deep and start using pesticides. One more thing I want to say about the book before you go is that she does a very, very good job of everything that she asserts in this book. She backs it up with names of scientists who have studied a particular area. Like for example, a single teaspoon of rich garden soil contains more microbes than there are people on earth. In fact, according to nematologist Kathy Merrifield of Oregon State University, this one teaspoon, quote, can hold up to 1 billion bacteria, several yards of fungal filaments, several thousand protozoa, protozoa, and scores of nematodes, end quote. I love how she does that. She doesn't just make assertions. That's great. And so this book is a good book. And you, I, I learned a lot from it, even though I'm experienced. Very good. And it's, that is the name of the book is Grow Now, Go Beyond Organic, Rewild Your Land, Sequester Carbon, Support Biodiversity by Emily Murphy.
We'll leave a link. We enjoyed your book, Emily. We'll leave a link. (laughs) Your quote? Okay, so I have a quote. Yes. All year, I dream of the days of May when the sun is warm, the sky is blue, the grass is green, and the garden is new all over again. Guess who? (laughs) And I I wrote, ha, 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 ha. It's Carol. That's my, I used to have that at the top of my blog. Now, since I moved over to WordPress, I don't think it's there anymore, but that was my quote. I think you should put it back. I think you should put it back as your subtitle, but um, I can, I can see why you took it off, but I love it. It's one of my favorite things because I dream of those days too. I think all gardeners do. So we're going to talk a little bit about our dirt and I'm going to let Carol talk about it. for a So minute. while I let my cat outside, yeah, let the cat out, the dirt is that D and I are now starting to write some articles for the family handyman's website. And so we're, we will leave links to those occasionally in these as they relate there. We'll have links on our blog post. And Dee is also writing for Oklahoma Living Magazine. She could tell you about that because the cat has been let out. <laughs> oh, I've written for Oklahoma Living Magazine. I've had a column for them that came out four times a year for, I think I've written for them for 10, 10 years, maybe. Um, I enjoy it because they, That's yeah, they time. let me write about um, lots of interesting things sometimes garden related and sometimes not. And I just had a thought as I was letting the cat out, there's a spider that's on the outside of my door and it has caught a mayfly. And I was thinking about how people ask me all the time. So what do you do for fertilizer? Nothing. (laughs) I don't fertilize my plants in the garden, right? I do pots because you're it's pots. Um, What do you do about control? Nothing. What about those things? Live and let live. <laughs> Pretty much live and let live. I do occasionally squish things that are really getting on my nerves or are trying to take over. But um, yeah, I, th- what I would, the point is they will take care of themselves. And we do a lot of that. We also speak about gardening a great deal. And Carol brings humor. And I try to bring common sense. I'm not as funny as Carol. And we try to do common sense garden solutions. like. Nothing, do nothing. <laughs> True. So, so D, are there links to the Oklahoma Living column articles? Online? You know, there there used to be links because they used to really focus on their um, website in addition to the print magazine. But what I noticed, I went to look something up the other day, and the link was broken. So I think they're in the process of redoing their website. When you redo your website, it messes everything up. So right now, I can link to Oklahoma Living magazine. And maybe my latest article. Okay. Well, we'll do that link and link to some of the stuff I've written for Family Handyman. So unless they think it's all just, you know, us nattering along about gardening. Sometimes we actually write stuff that's supposed to be helpful. (laughs) (laughs) We try. (laughs) Okay. On to the rabbit holes. There's no quote before the rabbit holes. That's okay. Go for it. Talk about your rabbit hole first. So I'm, I'm still in this lost ladies of garden writing. Yes. And I found one. She really is lost. So this woman named Ella Porter McKinney wrote one of those little garden series. And I'm going to have to talk about the whole little garden series and the editor of that, Mrs. Francis King. But Ella Porter McKinney wrote Iris Mm -hmm. in the Little Garden. And that's where our quote about being obsessed with a particular genus. Ella Porter McKinney was obsessed with irises. But I, I can't find anything. And man, a lot of women were. 
Yeah. She was hybridizing irises and uh, she wrote this book in 1927. I do see that she was married to somebody named Dr. C.S. McKinney, probably in Kentucky, probably in 1890. I can see on some magazine articles that I found that she lived in Madison, New Jersey. But I, I can't find out when she was born. Usually you can find a grave on find a grave and short of getting a subscription to right. newspaperarchives.com, which is like 50 bucks a year. I'm not doing it. Um, I can find a few magazine articles that speak to her, her garden. And here's one that they wrote in the garden magazine of June of 1921. They said, few of the other breeders of whom I wish to speak have sent varieties into commerce. Mrs. C.S. McKinney of Madison has one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful, iris garden I have ever visited. It is exceedingly simple. Palita dalmatica predominates interspersed, yeah, dalmatica, interspersed with varieties such as Mademoiselle Chirot, Mrs. H. Darwin, and Aurea. Among Mrs. McKinney's many fine seedlings are Picante, Simplicity, and her rival. Even the Historic Iris Preservation Society, I, it might be behind their paywall, but I couldn't even find an article on her like I found about another writer. Weird. You know, you might, you might look up, um, actually, I think you should email Beth Stettenfield, um, who writes uh, plant postings. She lives in Madison, which is where the Garden Bloggers fling is this year. Oh, no, this is Madison, New Jersey. Oh, see, I misunderstood all of that. Well, I can't help you now. Forget it. Beth won't be able to help you either. <laughs> so I I might do like a seven-day free trial of newspaper archives because it's just it's just weird that I can find absolutely nothing on this person. Yeah, so, it is strange, isn't it? Anyway, there's another lost lady of garden writing. I'm glad that you're finding these lost ladies, and I'm glad that you're finding their actual names. I think that's really important. I yeah. don't, and I, I don't want to be known as Mrs. William K. Nash, even though I like him very much. <laughs> I would be known as D. <laughs> well, Mrs. William C. Nash, I would like to say that I will write a blog post about Ella. And sometimes just out of the blue, someone will comment and say, hey, you know, that was great, great grandma or something. You know, you never know. So it anyway. often does. Ha- it has happened to you a lot, actually, where people are like, oh, I'm so glad you wrote about this person who's my relative. And then you've gotten more information. So that is a great service right. by your blog. So that's this week's Lost Lady of Garden Writing, Ella Porter McKinney. Please, please let me know, read listeners, if you know anything about her and her irises. Hmm. So in my rabbit hole right now, I'm researching petunias. So they're one of Bill's favorite flowers. And I want to do better by them in summer because a lot of times here they do really well in spring and then they poop out in summer. And yes, I could go with just wave petunias, but then they just get long and leggy and get on my nerves. And there's new, there's a new group of them called easy wave, which is supposed to be a little shorter and easier to grow. Anyway, I'm researching petunias, how to do better by them. If we if I discover more, we'll do them as a flower. Please do, because I um, decided to grow a bunch of petunias in front, even though it's a little bit shaded at the one spot, but it's like, I'm just going to will them into growth and I want to do better by them. 
So well, what I, I what little I've found out so far is that they need a lot of fertilizer and a lot of water and some sun. And also, if they get really leggy, just shear them back and then they'll poof out again. I think some of them will. I've tried that before. And I think in our heat, sometimes they have trouble yeah. with it. But there's also certain ones you deadhead. And then there's ones that don't need deadheading, et cetera. Et cetera. By the way, poof so. out. What is your garden? Oh, no, I want to say poof out is a special botanical term. You're probably not going to find the definition, but I think people know what it means. A technical yeah. term. <laughs> yeah. It's your technical botanical term. So what's your garden commission? Oh, I need to buy more plants. I went to the greenhouse this morning. They are wiped out. I'm like, you know, I was there, I don't know, Tuesday last week. And I was there on Thursday and I was there on Friday. And Saturday morning, I I had to run and get a flat of impatience for my sister. And I went, I'm like, on Mother's Day weekend, really? I got to go get you more impatience. So I ran in there right when they opened and it wasn't very busy. And they thought, well, you know, maybe people have already bought and, you know, because people are buying earlier. Place was wiped out this morning, but I need to buy more plants and get out my shorts because it's going to get in the 80s this week. I think Mother's Day weekend is their biggest weekend of the year. Um, Everybody goes and buys lots of the weather's better everywhere. Everybody goes and buys plants and roses sell like hotcakes. So you're going to buy plants, which I'm going to laugh and just point out that your sister told you that everything was going to get bought out and you kept telling her to be calm. As I remember. Well, I'm still calm, but my other sister with the condo, I need to be texting her and saying, what do you want to plant at your condo? So the choices are petunias, white petunias, some of the zinnias, the shorter zinnias, and I think we'll do some flowering vinca. But the vinca is not quite ready. It's really likes a little bit warmer. What about pintas? So I need to. F- Why don't you do some pintas? It gets hot there in the summer, and they're great butterfly plants. Uh, you know what? Before I suggest that to my sister, which you've done because she's the one sister that listens Ask to this. Pintas. I <laughs> I need to go see if they have them because there's no sense saying. Hey, why don't we put in some pentas if I can't find them at the greenhouse? So, so be quiet, D. Oh, sorry. I'll just what talk about do my garden week? commission. <laughs> I need to plant those shrubs I bought. I, I bought them at Bob Scott's and they're still in the pots. I bought another Mohawk Viburnum. Too bad. I killed the first one I grew years ago, but it was tiny and in the wrong place. This one's larger and I'm going to grow it near Cayuga, which is another Viburnum. Maybe we'll talk about Viburnums next week. I also have a show off Forsythia that I need to plant, a white Chinese lilac, two lava light hydrangeas, which I was going to remember, get rid of Bobo and put those lava lights in there. I'm too lazy to dig up Bobo. That's pathetic. You are pathetic. I know. Well, they're there now and they have lots of roots. Um, I think I'm going to plant them along the fence on the outside of the garden to keep the deer back, you know, because deer, although deer eat hydrangeas. So maybe that's a bad idea. And then I have a golden Sambucus, which I have no idea where I'm going to put that thing, but I'm tired of watering them in their pots. That's my job this week. That's pretty good. I, I do need to pot up and judiciously move a few things, you know, the, some of the pansies out and pot up some of my summer annuals. And, you know, I just, I just keep going, run over there. And it's like, okay, I'm concentrating on these two pots. And this morning it was, I'm concentrating on the front. So anyway. (laughs) Well, I think that's it for this week. 
It is. And so let me go in the show notes and find the wrap up where we talk. Where we forgot to put it in this week. (laughs) It's right there. Thank you for listening to The Garnangelist. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss anything. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use the affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate today. Bye until next week. Goodbye, everybody.